Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. And we are set to uh, conclude our GOAT series uh, two years in the in the making. Uh, mm-hmm. We are wrapping up our greatest of all time series with the best relief pitchers of all time. Uh, you will notice in this list versus others, there's a lot of uh, oldies but goodies and uh and previous lists uh, with uh, those positions in MLB's history of uh, 100 and 150 years of uh, of history there. There's a lot to go through. Relief pitching is more modern baseball, so you're only going to notice names more or less in the last 50 years yeah. and more or less in the last 30 years and, and even closer to that. So uh, we're seeing a, a different uh, uh, list. We've now had at least enough time to create a good greatest of all time. Uh, and for, by our standards, some oldies but goodies, but uh, some more recent uh, players uh, as well. Uh, so we'll have that for you in just a moment. But before we uh, kick that off, uh, we'll also have a couple of news and notes on the latest happenings uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, as we cover that, just kind of a couple of housekeeping notes that we'll have uh, a break in the action from baseball for a week. We will have our football, our first of our football draft podcast. That'll be the, the following week. Uh, we'll give our top five uh, position board. Uh, we'll have uh, Corey go into his war room and get things uh, set up there. I'll have my own list as well, and we'll get you uh, started on uh, NFL draft uh, preview coverage. And uh, then we'll be back with the uh, season previews. We'll go division by division, cover the AL and NL East, Central, and West, along with our season predictions. So that's where we're headed here in the next uh, uh, five weeks leading up to the regular season. And uh, we're today is actually the first day that we have spring training kicking off real games. I'm looking at some some uh, box scores right now. It's it's good. You know, it's I watched. I said maybe an inning of the Yankees game this afternoon on MLB Network. But otherwise, just just seeing box scores makes it feel like spring. Fifty degree weather yesterday has uh, has you definitely thinking spring. All I need is a brat in hand and. Uh, uh, and a beer in the other one, and we're good to go. Popcorn to watch the baseball game. Brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. Yes, uh, for all your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice. My dad Come wants to op- leave happy. My dad told me that he would like to open it earlier than we said, and I told him uh, we'll see about that. It's got a lot of melting left to do before that gets to that point. We'll see what uh, what spring holds. Uh, is it uh, in like a lion, out like a lamb, or other way around? That's what we need to... Uh, uh, you never know with That's Wisconsin right. weather. So I remember so my birthday's a week from today, actually. Yeah, a week from today, actually. And uh, I remember there's been some times where we've barbecued outside and it's been in the 70s and there's been days where I've had school cancel because it would be 12 inches of snow. So we'll see. I'm not ready to say that it's quite done yet. What we are ready for uh, is uh, uh, some baseball and baseball uh, news right. and notes. So let's take a look. There's two, just two news and notes for today before we get into our list. And the first one deals with... Uh, some extracurricular. Yeah. we. This one was sort of coming up a little bit before last time, but we didn't talk about it because we wanted all the facts. And the Seattle Mariners CEO was named Kevin Mather. And so he actually was back in February that just got released last week. But he was talking to, Caught I believe, a, a Rotary Club who was there to support him. And he said some very poor choice of things poor that choice he should of hate. words, insensitive. Yeah. So he... he belittled some of their players for not learning English. And I, Jace, it's actually Julio Rodriguez 
put out a video, I don't know if you saw it a couple days ago, and his English yeah. sounded just fine to me. Like, I could understand it pretty well. So he belittled him for his English learning. and Because he wouldn't take the massively team-friendly deal. And that's and that's Yeah, and then you get to Kalanick has said that, you know, he, they wanted him to – last year they had Evan White sign that extension, which allowed them to bring him up right away, but – Evan White wasn't particularly good. I think he'll be very good, actually, at some point. But it really helps the team and allows them to bring him up. They wanted Kalanick to do that. We've talked about Jared Kalanick on this podcast a lot. He's very good. I think that Jared Kalanick is going to come up and be amazing. And he said no. So they're going to manipulate his time, which happens a lot. Like, teams do that. But it's not good when you're admitting it. And caught. Uh, it's, it's one thing for a he said, she said type of deal. That's not this. Uh, and it... it created the black eye on the whole issue of service time manipulation and uh, players openly speaking out uh, against it. This became the perfect opportunity to do so, and this will be a point of contention in the next round of labor negotiations. Uh, and In which case, like briefly on that note, we can call it service time manipulation all we want, but it's well within a club's rights to this is their team control time. This is what was in the CBA. You agree? So to I, it. I get, yeah, I get a little frustrated when players whine about deals that their union signed. This is part of what they agreed to. You don't want it to be something you agreed to. That's fine. And you can now that the uh, CBA is up for uh, renewal, this is the time to bring it up. But don't bash teams for doing something that you agreed was there. You didn't care about those players. You set that aside because you wanted to focus more on free agency money and for those that were already major league players and, and up at the time. This impacts those at the lower end of the totem pole, and no one in that union stepped up to say we wanted to support these guys as a major point. So it's on you as much as it is on the clubs. Uh, so just if you don't like the way it is, and it shouldn't be this way, no, we, fix it. Yeah, we Jared Kalanick is one of the best three outfielders the Seattle Mariners have. There is no doubt in my mind that he's better than, I believe, Jake Fraley scheduled to play on the outfield. He is absolutely going to be better than Jake Fraley, but we've seen this before. Chris Bryant is the one that the last one that really sticks out in my mind was the Cubs because they said, we're going to keep him down for about a month, then we're going to get another year out of him, and it, and it worked. And we've seen Luis Robert last year sign that big extension before he ever played a minute because it meant that he could play. Now, I don't remember the exact figures on it, but we've seen players sign lower contracts like Acuna, and we've seen some massive contracts too. I think the easy answer to this uh, is, again, they, they tried to, it was three years of control uh, on, on minimum deals, and then you had, if you got in enough time in that second year, you could be eligible for another year of arbitration. Uh, and all that has happened with that is that has become a, a manipulated mess. So make it simple. Uh, for uh, the players, two years of minimum uh, uh, salary, Four years of arbitration. Do that for everyone. Now, I don't know what you're giving up for the owners to agree to that, but take out the take out the manipulation part. Period. Uh, have it where that's an additional year of arbitration. Now, again, owners of, of especially small market teams are not going to be thrilled with that because that fourth year of cost of arbitration is pretty much at free agent market value, and so that's a team losing value for like that amount of time with it. So you're going to have to give them something. I don't know what that is. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing to do is just eliminate that year. That's going to be a benefit for the players. You're not going to have to worry about it being a money issue because it's going to be across the board. So get rid of the uh, the thing that creates the issue uh, and then just figure out what, what owners are going to get uh, in, in return. That's the biggest way to take care of it. Long story short, Kevin Mathers resigned amid <laughs> this controversy and – Service time manipulation still here for now. Like you said, next year we've talked, the collective bargaining is going to happen again and it's going to be contentious. And we saw how contentious it could be last summer. And now we're going to see one full year of baseball and then 
We don't know next year. We'll At figure least it out. we're not dealing with uh, uh, last year's issues of it lingering all the way through in the middle of a pandemic. At least that's not going to be an issue for this year. We can just enjoy baseball and let and kick that can down the road to the next off season. Uh, but the speaking of kicking cans, yes, that is an amazing segue to one of our injuries. Another news and note here, <laughs> which is I had to take advantage of it because well it was done. such a well perfect done. segue. Uh, the Likely nominee for the strangest injury of the year, at least an early favorite, would be Spencer Torkelson, who, if you remember, was the first pick overall in last summer's draft uh, by the Detroit Tigers. He, They actually said they are going to play him at third. He's played first. Well, he injured his finger this week and had to get stitches, and he cut his finger on a can opener. He said that he used the can opener wrong and cut his index finger and needed to get stitches. So... Uh, he's back, I believe, at spring training. He's not batting yet. They have to wait to get those stitches removed, but he will bat yet. But that is an early favorite for injury of the year, I think. You make enough money, even at minimum salary, to buy a decent can opener, seriously. <laughs> get an electric one, dude. Like, th- that's This is an easy thing to take care of. Uh, uh, <laughs> but the, the the randomness of, of everything. Uh, yeah, strangest injury of the year or dumbest injury of the year, you can go with all of the above. Well, at least he is going to be back because we saw another top prospect who will not be back this year after obviously missing out of all of last season when they didn't have the minor leagues. Royce Lewis is another former number one overall prospect. Uh, 2017, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 2017 with the Twins picked first overall. Big time shortstop prospect, and we've seen him be great. 2018, he hit over 300 with nine home runs, 22 steals. Now, he was probably going to play a triple-A this season, I would guess. They signed Andrelton Simmons in the offseason, and they already had Jorge Polanco there. So shortstop was kind of blocked, but... I'm pretty sure Simmons only got a one-year deal, if I don't remember. And Royce Lewis is going to be an excellent shortstop someday from everything we've seen. But he tore his ACL the other day. So after not playing last year, he will not play at all this season. That's a tough loss for a, a minor league system that was one of the crown jewels of that system. And uh, uh, hoping that in one year's time, he might be ready uh, for the, the majors. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case at this point. Just wish him a speedy recovery that he can get back on track and uh, can look forward to seeing him in the majors. Yeah, at least he was. He's still only 21, so he was a high school kid when they drafted him, so he's still got time. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about, speaking of time, let's talk about the greatest of all time. Since we're going for it, let's today. do it. Uh, it's all about, the, all about the segues. Let's take a look at our best relievers of all time as we cap off our greatest of all time series. Uh, again, these are going to be guys more in, in recent era, but there's some oldies that are in here that, uh, and I purposely tried to get a couple that uh, before the full relief pitcher era nice. uh, that have been uh, uh, key players uh, for their teams for 20 some year season or 20 some season careers. So why don't we kick off your honorable mentions? Who are who is a, a player that made it to your not quite your top nine, uh, but your uh, honorable mention? Oh, let me do Bruce Suter. He's famous for his split finger fastball. So a lot of these guys are basically one, famous one for one pitchers. pitch, right? A lot of them is one pitch, and that's why they end up in the bullpen. And his was a splitter, six time All Star. He led the league in saves five times, and he won the Cy Young in '79 with the Cubs. He had a World Series in 82 with St. Louis. I think the reason that Suter tends to get, I don't want to say overlooked, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So it's hard to say you're overlooked when you're in the Baseball Hall of Fame is, but I would say he's more overlooked is because he bounced around to so many teams. So he plays with the Cubs, St. Louis, and Atlanta, and it's only a, you're talking about somebody who has 20 year careers. It's a 12 year career. So it's a short career, and he doesn't spend more than five years in any one spot. Yeah, the uh, the bouncing around makes it hard to get that consistency for uh, and building up that fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 
you want to talk about one of the perfect journeymans uh, in Major League Baseball, effective wherever he's gone. Uh, that's an excellent choice. Saw him in lists in the in, in top ten lists for that. Sure. Uh, I have another oldie but goodie, and that's uh, Tug McGraw, uh, known more for his managerial uh, acumen, but as a uh, pitcher. And we noticed this early on, guys. That would start as as uh, get more starts in their uh, in their career, but uh, failed starters turned relievers and, and effective at the again when you only need one uh, one pitch, two pitches to uh, be a very good. Uh, one inning or two inning reliever. Uh, he fits one of those early models. You know, p- uh, played from 1965 to 1984. Again, 20 year career. Uh, was never a big uh, strikeout uh, artist, but he could still get you 80 to 100 innings uh, each season. Uh, and very effective. Uh, his career uh, FIP field independent pitching is 3.26. Uh, he was uh, ERA was a uh, career ERA is 3.14. Uh, so very good uh, uh, pitcher. Still had 1,500 innings pitched over the course of 20 seasons. Uh, and never much with uh, peak was t- saves was 27 in 1972. Uh, played most of his career with the early season with the New York Mets. Then it was the the Phillies, and then those were the two teams. So he was a good reliever and an even better manager. And that, Tug McGraw, it's two World Series too. So 1969, that's that miracle Mets year. He's there to win the World Series there, and then almost a dozen years later with that 1980 Phillies team, that's the the Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt. That's He, he maybe gets overlooked for the fact that it was just such a great team that he was on. Tom Seaver's on that Mets team, and, and then he's on a Phillies team with multiple Hall of Famers, Steve Carlton, Pete Rose. Well, Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, but Mike Schmidt. So, yeah, great player too, Doug McGraw. That 1980 season was his uh, career best uh, wins above replacement. Nice. Uh, had a 1.46 ERA, 2.36 FIP. I'm going to take my number nine. That's okay with you. Dive in. My number nine, and I discussed this with my father. Usually he, I gave him a preview this time because he criticizes me sometimes. I gave him a preview, and he was not happy with this pick, but I'm sticking to it because it's mine. Uh, Eric Gagne, so relatively ineffective as a starter. First three years, then they tried him in the bullpen in L.A. And it's it, this is the reason that I feel like he was probably mad at me, and it's fine. It's really only a three-year stretch, right? 2002 to 2004. It is a three-year stretch where he's really good, and it is some type of good. 2002... 52 saves with a 197 ERA. 2003, 55 saves with a 1-2 ERA. He wins the Cy Young. And in 2004, he saved 45 games with a 219 ERA. So he actually pitched 82 in one-third innings all three of those seasons, which is weird that that happened, but 114, 137, and 114 strikeouts, so well over a strikeout an inning. Fastest player ever to 100 saves. And then I just remember the streak when I was a kid. At one time, he converts 84 consecutive saves over three seasons, not with one blown save in all of 20, 2003. Now, he never came close to matching that peak, but he did win a World Series with Boston in 2007. He came back, got that World Series ring in Boston. But, yeah, it's a very short career. That's why I put him at number nine. He was the other player I, ha- I had for honorable mention, and I wanted to wait because I knew that he was on your list. You can argue that no one had a better three-year stretch uh, as a reliever uh, in MLB history, than what Eric Gagne did here. Uh, absolutely incredible numbers. That, that 2003 season, uh, he averaged, you might as well say it's .02 percentage points under, so I'm going to round up and give him just a little bit more easy credit. 15 strikeouts per nine. Not you're too always, shabby. I mean, you're getting closer to two strikeouts per inning uh, that he is doing. This do- level of dominance, just a walk, walk rate of, of pretty much two uh, per nine innings. That year, home runs per nine, 0.22. No one was hitting this guy. 
uh, had an XFIP of 1.18. And again, the difference between your field independent pitching, which tries to take out the variable of defense, uh, that is what the pitcher can control. Uh, that's what that stat is about. The XFIP also includes park uh, information. Like for uh, those that get m- maybe a more pitcher-friendly park or hitter-friendly park, it tries to put all that information together. That XFIP uh, 1.18 is absolutely insane. 4.7 wins above replacement for a reliever. For a relief, that's incredible for a relief pitcher because you just don't get the. I mean, I said 82 and a third. That is not a lot of innings to get to a number like that. And obviously, you're coming in at the end of the game, and you're expected to get three outs most of the time. Now, some of these guys we're talking about are coming a lot different. The relief pitcher has changed even in the last 10 years, let alone the last 30 years. So when he was doing it, he was coming in for one inning and expected to get three guys out, and he was excellent at it for three seasons. Uh, Because of the the longevity or lack thereof, that's why he made my honorable mentions Mm -hmm. list. Uh, But those years were so lights out. It's a shame that his elbow... Uh, blew out because that was uh, one of the best uh, best relief arms of all time. If he has a ten, even a 10-year career, he's probably way up on this list. Uh, so my number nine, I'm going back, again, still to a, a different area than what we're normally going to be talking about here. We're looking at uh, Mike Marshall, uh, pitched for, uh, made his rookie debut with the Detroit Tigers in 1967. Uh, his career ended in 1981, so we had a 14-year uh, career. Uh, Mike Marshall was uh, uh, interesting as a referred to as Iron Mike. Uh, appeared in 106 games for the 1974 Dodgers, including 13 games in a row. Uh, compare that to how we do relief pitching and things today. Uh, he was a guy who had a uh, PhD in kinesiology. Kinesiology. Thank you. Gazoon tight. He developed a, a pitching motion uh, designed to eliminate arm injuries. He won the Cy Young in 1974 and the Fireman of the Year Award for three different teams, the Expos, Dodgers, and Twins. He featured a screwball uh, that is normally very hard on a pitching arm, but he found a way to get a motion together uh, that uh, made him a very uh, unique uh, pitcher and uh, overall an excellent... Uh, that 1974 year is crazy weird. I, that's he starts. He's in 106 games he appears in. Yeah. That is... And he finishes 83, 21 saves. He threw 208 innings as a relief pitcher. Think about that. That's crazy. That is some type of a weird year. But 15 wins, 21 saves. He won the Cy Young Award that year, I see. that's. Do you remember it was back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, Everyday Eddie? Uh, Eddie Guardado. You got it. Yeah, see? Uh, it. He was, for being able to, the rubber arm that could just bounce back and get back out there. Uh, eventually, those guys' arms fell off with injury. He still had a 14-year career despite, like, I, I think there would be a, a mass amount of protests that would go up for any relief pitcher treated that way from 1974. Uh, 208 innings, 106 games uh, that he appears in, and his arm does not fall off. It's so much more specialized today. Like, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't see, obviously you don't see it for a number of reasons, but it's the specialization. I'm trying to see, is he a lefty? No, he's a right-handed pitcher. See, I didn't know that. So, yeah, incredible. That was my computer, sorry. Uh so that's my number nine. That is your number nine. My number eight is an active player. I am going with Araldis Chapman. So he is armed with the fastest pitches that we have ever seen. Five seasons where the, his average velocity on his fastball is well over 100. Uh, he touched 105 in 2010 in an at-bat against Tony Gwynn Jr. Uh, defected from Cuba, signed with Cincinnati, made his big league debut in 2010 at the age of 22. 
and it has always been teased that he was going to move into a starting role. It's always been talked about, but it's at this point, it's never going to happen. And his velocity is, is slowly dipping. It's it's definitely dipping, but it's still extremely fast and plenty fast enough for him to be effective with what he's got. Six-time All-Star. Obviously, he was a, maybe the most important part of the Cubs ending the the curse. They, they traded Glaber Torres for him, and then he went right back still to the well Yankees. Worth it. But yeah, it was, it was worth that it they got at the end of it, year. right? And then he went right back to the Yankees where he felt comfortable. It's seven seasons at this point. He's had over 30 saves. He has a career 225 ERA. And you're talking about strikeouts per nine. So the strikeouts per nine are incredible, even as his velocity has dipped from like really good to or like superhuman to really good. He's maintained the ability to strike guys out. His career strikeouts per nine inning is, uh, excuse me, that's not the right spot. That's the project 14.88. That is his career strikeouts per nine innings. That's it. That's someone's career year, and that's just his career period. That's he's had a that's, 17 that's back that last year. One of those last years with Cincinnati, he had a 17. Now, he's always had problems with a walk because when you throw that hard, and it's is yep. he just he has a slider, right? We've seen the slider. It's effective-ish, but it doesn't have to be super effective because when you throw that hard, you have to start swinging early. So he's struggled with walks his whole career, but people don't hit him. Unless your name is Mike Brousseau. Sorry, yeah. had to do it. That's I, I don't blame <laughs> you, right? Right, he's got to start off with a suspension, right? I forgot about that. Was it one yeah, yeah, one game one only game. though, right? Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, an excellent. I didn't have him on my list yet. Uh, with enough time, that'll be someone that'll be making his way up that list very quickly. Uh, I went with someone who also at the same time has duration issues. He didn't pitch that long in relief, but he was dominant when he was. John Smoltz. Uh, so that's who I uh, have here. Uh, in that list, you know, an excellent starter was part of the big three, uh, the first big three that you think about with uh, Major League Baseball with rotations, and you have Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz. Uh, but after the injury uh, wiped him out, he came back in relief first, uh, and it was a uh, four-year stretch uh, that he turns uh, closer, and he saves 55 games in 2002 and uh, has a... Uh, ERA of 3.25, walk or strikeout rate of uh, just under 10. Uh, the home runs kept down to 0.45. He was very effective with the home runs. I mean, throughout his career, he was very good. But the relief role there, again, very good there too. So again, you have a four-year stretch uh, where he saves, uh, especially for three years from 2002 to 2004, he averages near 50 saves a season. Yeah, I I moved him up just because I went with the whole body of work thing. I went with a starter thing. So he's going to end up a lot higher on mine. But his three-year stretch is very comparable to Eric Gagne, right, where it's three years of real dominance as a closer. So I can absolutely understand why he kept him down here. My number seven is Lee Smith, star basketball player in high school, but bad knees forced him into baseball where he was drafted in the second round by the Cubs. Almost quit baseball because he was a starter and the Cubs moved him to relief. But he said, you know what, maybe I will try this relief thing. Six foot five, so he was kind of the original real tall, intimidating pitcher from the relief role. Big fastball. Eight years in Chicago where he was a two-time All-Star and had over 29 saves his last five years there. Traded the Red Sox where he kept closing games for two seasons before being traded back to the National League in St. Louis where he led the league in saves his first two years again. So more bouncing around the league to end his career. Still saving games. Even with all the personal success on so many different teams, he only pitches in two postseasons and never makes a World Series. So when you add it all up, it's a seven-time All-Star who ended with 478 saves, which was the most at the time he retired. Still third all-time on the list. He's another one. I think he gets 
overshadowed because it's the Cubs, it's the Red Sox, it's St. Louis, it's the Yankees, it's Baltimore, it's the A's, and it's Montreal. So there's a lot of different teams in there. And when you're not on one team for an extended period of time, like you said, the fans, I don't want to say like the fan base forgets you, but it's not the same as building up a long career with one team. Uh, he also is, is on next on my list here. Uh, and uh, here's someone who led uh, in career saves from 1993 to 2006. Uh, so the period of dominance is, is definitely there. Uh, and yeah, it just gets overshadowed as a result of uh, the bouncing around. Uh, but one of the, uh, one of the best relief pitchers that was uh, unfortunately never got a lot of postseason uh, spotlight to, to sh- show those skills. First ballot Hall of Fame. in the Hall of Fame, so you know he's been appreciated, but he's going to end up a little lower on our lists. My number six is Dennis Eckersley, twenty-four year career between the Indians, Red Sox, Cubs, and A's. Primarily in relief, he had a couple of late seasons actually with St. Louis too. Uh, this is a guy who had success as a starter in the first half of his career. So we think about all these guys who didn't work out as a starter. He had a twenty-one season, threw a no-hitter as a starter, made a couple of All-Star games. But then in 1986, he had a bad year with Chicago and traded to Oakland. And our buddy Tony, who loves a good closer, Tony LaRussa, was the manager all those years ago, managing out in Oakland and said, hey, Eckersley, why don't you try being the closer? And as I've said with why he wanted Liam Hendricks, Tony LaRussa is going to love a good closer. So he kept going to Dennis Eckersley, and he was a dominant closer, right? They they reached three World Series, won one in 1989. 1992 was his best year. He went 7-1 and one with 51 saves, Cy Young, and the MVP from a relief pitcher. Uh, only pitcher ever with 100 saves and 100 complete games, which I doubt that'll ever be matched unless something weird happens. Really didn't start closing until age 32 and still finished with 390 saves and six-time All-Star. Was a uh, uh, not intended uh, to be the, the closer. Again, this all came out of uh, injury necessity when uh, – their closer, Jay Howell, was injured. LaRusso put him in the, in that role. And then the rest of it, as they say, is history. Uh, and uh, he's also famous for coining the term walk-off home run. Uh, that apparently originated with uh, uh, with him. Really? So I didn't know he, that. He called that after the famous uh, uh, game-ending home run by uh, the pinch hitter Kirk Gibson in the 1988 World Series. Uh, so he was the one that uh, labeled it that way, and that label has stuck. Uh, Is that against him? I think so. Oh, would it have been? Okay, that makes sense. Uh, And uh, mine on this list is Billy Wagner. Uh, I have him here. Here was the guy that uh, uh, was dominant from pretty much right out of the gate, 1996 with the Houston Astros, but then bounce around a little bit between the the Phillies and the Mets and then end with uh, the Braves. Uh, Has a 15-year career, battles with injuries closer to the end of his his career. Uh, but a career uh, K to nine is eleven point nine two, uh, ERA career two point three one, just a dominant uh, reliever, uh, especially when his health was uh, was there. He was as locked in as anyone in the game. He was on my just miss list. I I knew you were going to talk about him, so I didn't bring him up. He is in his sixth season of Hall of Fame eligibility this past year. He had forty six percent of the vote. You need to get to seventy five. So he's got nine years left. What do you think? I think he gets there. Uh, as as it's hard to get uh, more than one uh, relief pitchers are such a new era to this. You have to earn it that much more, uh, and you deal with some of that uh, those challenges there. I don't see how he doesn't. He's a 422 career saves, uh, so the the numbers are are definitely there and support him. Uh, 
he has uh, many good many good seasons. Uh, he averages from 2001 to 2007 almost 40 saves uh, a season during that time. I just remember Billy Wagner is another one who's probably going to get nicked for some of the postseason stuff. Yeah, he, he had some rough yeah. postseason games. He gets nicked for some of that and never won a World Series. And they got there and he got hit rather hard. Whereas you know we're going to talk about a guy in a little bit who was in the AL at that time who was obviously the most famous postseason pitcher of all time as a closer, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. But I think Billy Wagner gets there too, but I do think it's going to be a while yet. He was one of the first guys to come out uh, pitching 100 miles an hour. He had that early... Uh, Huge uh, fastball. Uh, fastball there. And what's interesting is... Uh, so he's one of the better lefties, lefty relief pitchers of all time. He was a, nat- uh, a natural right-hander. Uh, really? So that, that was not his uh, original, but he broke broke his arm twice when he was young, and so he taught himself to throw left-handed. Wow. That is a man who's more skilled than I am because I am not able to even right with my left hand very effectively. <laughs> this is pretty much the, uh, you could do field of dreams style uh, with, with this guy. He learned to, uh, to throw left-handed by slinging thousands of pitches against a barn. I wonder where he grew up. You got to think it's like an Iowa thing. Who was it? Was it Bob Feller last week? We talked about had to go back to high school in Iowa. Did you ever hear the, you know how Craig Kimbrell, light detour here, Craig Kimbrell does the weird arm thing. Do you ever know why he did, did that? Like, you know, where he sticks his arm out to the side, like it's hanging down. Yep. Yeah. So he, he did that. Cause I believe I've heard the story where he like hurt his arm. So we had to start pitching from his knees and that's how he generates so much power. And that's why he does that weird arm thing. Uh, he's from Marion, Virginia. Uh, Never heard of a it. Little, little Must be a little town. Yep. Pounded against a base. I mean, we've all thrown. I remember going out in my backyard and throwing it against my, uh, we have a cement wall back there, except for above it was the siding. So when I cracked the siding, my parents were not pleased. <laughs> but uh, my number five is Raleigh Fingers. I have that he's famous for two things. The sinker, which was amazing, and the mustache, right? The famous twirling mustache. 17 seasons between the Oakland Athletics, the Padres, and the Milwaukee Brewers. Another guy who begins his career as a starter and had limited success there. So they tried him as a reliever, and it worked out all time very well. When he retired, he also had the most saves when he retired at 341. Started with the A's, where in nine seasons, he finished in the top 10 of saves seven times. And there's – so we talk about Billy Wagner's lack of postseason success. This is the first guy who had a lot of postseason success. Three World Series in three straight seasons, 1972 to 74, including a World Series MVP in 74. Went to San Diego as a free agent in 77, where he went to lead the NL and saves his first two years. Actually got traded to St. Louis, which I didn't know that, in a nine-person trade, but St. Louis traded him to Milwaukee four days later, where he won the AL Cy Young and MVP with a 104 ERA. Seven times an All-Star, and I believe, yeah, he would have gotten back to the World Series one more time with Milwaukee, but they did not win. So lots of postseason success, and all the career stats that are needed there back it up. I, I'm trying to think through the rest of this list uh, to see if there's anyone I'm, I'm missing, but uh, the Milwaukee uh, uh, Brewers have seen uh, three of the top relievers, uh, top nine relievers of all time, if you include Eric Gagne. Now, he wasn't necessarily he at was, that level when he was there, as I'm sure your dad would, oh. would definitely note. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Raleigh Fingers, and we'll talk about another guy coming up here who uh, finished off his career with them. And if you want to make it... Like, and we've asked the question before, you know, current players who could get onto these lists, and I, I have Chapman on here, but they certainly uh, have two guys right now, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, if, if you're talking about it, Josh Hader has been absolutely dominant his first two years, and Devin Williams last year looked amazing. So let's uh, – I'm going to pause right here. We could have asked it at the end, but since you brought it up, I'll use the segue to keep that going. Uh, you know, we've been using the with the pitchers. Who is someone current 
that you could see on this list uh, that hasn't been mentioned. And so I think that's ex- excellent to point out Josh Hader at this point, if his health keeps going, uh, that's someone that could very well be on this list by the time his career is done. So Hader's the same thing as Chapman, right? Hader's, he's got strikeouts for days. He, his career average is 15 two for nine innings, which is incredible. But he, he walks a lot of guys because, once again, huge fastball. Well, and multi-inning. Like, uh, he can do multi-innings, today, right? That's yep. the, when he is used uh, a decent amount of times with uh, more than one inning of relief in today's era uh, is is different. And then you're when you do that at, the, at this type of uh, miles per hour that you're pitching at, uh, the fastball numbers that are there, eventually your arm becomes susceptible to that home run. Uh, with it, you, you uh, a mistake pitch comes in there with that. It's just the way that, that it is with relief pitching today. Uh, so I think some of that he suffers from. That's not necessarily his fault. That goes into usage. I, but among the the active players, I, I think Hader is the most likely to reach this list. Now, Hendricks is amazing. You could talk about some of those other duns, but Hader is going to have all the strikeout numbers that you're going to ever want to see. He's going to get saves. And like you said, multi-innings. Today he's going to eat more innings, which gives them actually more numbers and allows him to get – he had a six-win season, which – doesn't sound like much compared to, you know, 20 wins that you guys talked, we talked about with that Marshall guy, but six wins in today's day and age for a closer is a lot. And that's, that's just the way he pitches. So we'll see. And speaking of uh, wins for a uh, uh, closer, I'm, this is where I have Dennis Eckersley as number five for me. And uh, along with John Smoltz, he's the only one of, of two pitchers to reel off both a 20 win and 50 save season. Uh, so that tells you the, the level of, of dominance uh, on both sides of it and a long uh, career. Uh, to uh, uh, to do that. So uh, most of everything's already been said about Eckersley at this point, a dominant uh, pitcher, but uh, that's one of the, the stats you can remember. 20-win uh, season and a 50-save season. Only he and John Smoltz are the two players who have ever done that. My number four is Goose Gossage, Rich Gossage, an intimidator on the mound, one of the first pitchers routinely hit 100 miles an hour. Started his career with the five seasons with the White Sox. Bouncing, he did a little starting there. Bounced a little bit between starting and relief. He had some years where he started games and relief games. There was a 29 start season in there, actually. Finished 15 of those games. But then he got traded to the Pirates in 76, where he became a closer, primarily. He only stayed in Pittsburgh one season before signing with the Yankees as a free agent, and then six seasons there before going to San Diego. With all the teams, he kept saving games. After he became the closer in Pittsburgh, he kept saving games. Double-digit saves for 11 straight seasons, total of eight seasons over 20, and two over 30. And once again, with a lot of these guys we talk about, it's for me, it's postseason success here. Appeared in three World Series in his career, winning one in the Yankees in 1978, nine times an All-Star. That's why I put him up this high, just because continued success over a long stretch of time. I'll talk about him in just a minute. This is where I have uh, Raleigh Fingers. Uh, for my number four spot, and uh, again, just highlighting the winning the MVP and Cy Young Award. Again, we talk about guys who've won it early on, but that's because they only had the MVP. You didn't have the Cy Young Award with it. It is rare for someone to win both, and Raleigh Fingers is someone who did that with the Brewers uh, and was the second relief pitcher to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So he was only the second one at the time to to make it who was considered a, a true relief pitcher. I wonder... Do you think there's ever going to be another elite pitcher win an MVP award? Potentially because of the way that they're so limited and how even the closer role is being less and less defined. If you have someone, if someone comes along who can do an Eric Gagne level of dominance, mm-hmm. I think you'll get that consideration. But also it has to be at a time period when the position players, there's a lot that are about equal status, but no one is standing out as the elite because uh, that's also what helped Eric Gagne at that time. There's very good numbers, but no one that was the clear cut 
which is what allowed him to get it into consideration and then be used. It's going to have to, like you say, it's going to have to take a historical season like like Eric Gagne had. My number three is Trevor Hoffman. Uh, Hell's Bells, right? Famous. Brings, they would play Hell's Bells when he came in. So we had to start with Trevor Hoffman. Though. His brother played shortstop in the big leagues, and Trevor himself was a converted shortstop. He just couldn't hit. So he got drafted by the Reds, but the Marlins took him in the expansion draft in 92 in the eighth round. Nice, nice choice, Marlins. But they traded him midway through 93 to San Diego for Gary Sheffield, who almost had won the Triple Crown the previous season. So we can talk about, you know, Gary, Trevor Hoffman goes on to have a Hall of Fame career, but Gary Sheffield, I don't believe he's actually in the Hall of Fame, but that's more steroid stuff. But he was a very good player in his own right. And Trevor Hoffman injures his shoulder during the strike of 94 playing at the beach. So we can talk about his poor decisions or not poor decisions. You can do whatever you want when there's a strike, but unfortunate injuries, unlucky injuries and lost velocity in his fastball. That's what causes his fastball. Cause for that he was throwing 95, it said, but then it was suddenly less than 90. So you have to find a new way to pitch and his pitch is the changeup, right? That's what he's famous for his changeup. And but set records for saves. He passed Lee Smith, first person to ever have 500 saves, first person to ever have 600 saves. Now that's been passed, but 14 straight non-injured seasons of 30 or more saves, eight seasons over 40 and one over 50. He is a seven-time All-Star and number three on my list. And three for me is uh, uh, Goose Gossage. And uh, again, just highlighting uh, his level of uh, of play, no, again, more for postseason uh, dominance is uh, where especially he becomes uh, well-known for. Definitely an intimidating guy on the mound uh, and uh, an excellent pitcher. So my number two you already mentioned, and you had him quite a bit lower, and I said I probably cheated here because like when we were talking, I don't remember which position it was, it was maybe Babe Ruth and you were counting the pitching and I didn't let it count for right field, but I'll count John Smoltz as a starter. I'll give John Smoltz some credit for his starting time, and that bumps him up in my list. Uh, after a couple of years, he's obviously part of that dominating trio in Atlanta, which you mentioned. He, he has maybe the best, probably the best of all three of them in the postseason. He had a 15-4 and four career postseason record with a 267 ERA. He has a Cy Young Award, but like you said, the elbow injury leads to this closing. It's over 3,000 strikeouts. He's the only player in big league history with 200 wins and 150 saves. It, I put him up here because of everything, but as a closer, yeah, he did probably deserved to be lower. Uh, for my number two, this is where I have Trevor Hoffman. As uh, until passed by the guy that we're both going to talk about at number one, uh, he was the true uh, goat relief pitcher up until the person who's now finally surpassed and who's had the career to do that. Uh, that changeup uh, was just devastating to watch, but also one of the most iconic uh, relief pitchers. And we had the, at this time period, we're going to talk about the guy at number one too, but you had three guys. That were elite at that time. Rob Nen, if you remember him from the San from the, from the Giants, mm-hmm. I forget his uh, the song that he walked out to. Uh, I'm I'm not remembering. I knew that it's Hell's Bells for uh, for uh, uh, Trevor Hoffman, and then you have uh, uh, Enter Sandman for the guy that we're going to talk about. Uh, but Rob Nen also had another one that was used. Those three guys dominated with the, that walkout song. Uh, and I, I just can't remember. SB his. Nation says. Let's see if I can find Rob Nen here. As him for Smoke on the Water. Smoke on the Water for Rob Nen by Deep Purple, according to SB Nation. So you got to believe them. Back they, when I uh, covered the uh, Minnesota Twins uh, uh, on the beat, uh, <laughs> I had uh, a chance to ask. This was my favorite question that I got to ask Major League Baseball players. And I would especially ask relievers. So I asked uh, Joe Nathan at the time. Uh, but uh, closers had the best role. Uh, because you had the one, you could always come up with that attitude song 
that would just set the stage. Even uh, Jason Isringhausen, uh, also a, f- a famous closer from that era, uh, he once said that when you go to San Diego, you wanted to win two out of three just so one time you could hear the bong of the bell that starts Hell's Bells <laughs> when he walked out of the bullpen. That's awesome. like, so even the players that noticed awesome. that. And so I got to ask the question, you know, like different relief pitchers become synonymous with different songs. Uh, with that in mind, what would be one of the worst songs for a relief pitcher or closer to walk out to? What would you pick for that? <laughs> the worst songs? What would be like one of the worst songs that oh, you could pick? Oh, man. We have the of- iconic ones that are, that are here and become legendary. What would be one of the worst songs that you could uh, walk uh, I just to? remember a few years ago when Gerardo Park came up and they played the stupid Baby Shark song and it just drove <laughs> me nuts. So anything Baby Shark would be terrible. That, that would li- uh, fit the list. Uh, Joe, Joe Nathan responded with Shania Twain's I Feel Like a Woman. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's not not, not going to help you. But. Uh, Matt Guerrero suggested Baby Got Back. <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, if there's like a blowing up song, like like giving up. I'm trying to think if there's like a blow up song or we're giving up yeah. here, but I can't think of a good one off the top of my head. I can't think of the, well, walk this way is always <laughs> go, uh, walk when that would way. go. Uh, walk this way. As we w- see people walking batters left and right, yeah, that would not help uh, you as a closer. Let's see. Ron Gardenhire, the last one I'll, I'll share is Ron Gardenhire suggested uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. Puff uh, the Magic so, Dragon. I, I Those guys uh, got a, a kick out of that. Tori Hunter loved me, by the way. He loved the random questions that I would ask him. I'm sure he would. His son is a prospect. Did you know that? His son is in, I forget which team. Maybe the Twins, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's a good player, too. So, anyways, as we're talking about this, the point is the, the relief pitcher, as we talk about the greatest of all time, they can become synonymous, or at least the, the ones at the top become synonymous with uh, different songs. Uh, and so Trevor Hoffman, uh, a legend in his own right, uh, the, the bong of the bell for Hell's Bells became iconic with him. Uh, and... Uh, in Milwaukee, got a chance to uh, to see him as well. Uh, again, not the same type of closer with the, not having the same fastball the same way, but that that changeup was so good, it didn't matter. And speaking of the one pitch dominance, uh, that yeah. can be there. Was and there Trevor a- Hoffman was able to extend his career because the one pitch was so good. There is one pitcher who is now iconic for making a Hall of Fame career out of just one pitch. Was there any more obvious like goat that we've done? I mean, we both knew we were going to have this one. Was there anyone that was more you? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So number one is obviously Mariano Rivera. Born in Panama, signed for $3,000 by the Yankees in 1990 as an international free agent. Had to have arm surgery in 91 because he had a ligament problem, which made the Yankees not really value him very much as a prospect. So it wasn't until 1995 he made his debut as a starter, but wasn't particularly effective. So Buck Showalter, managing at the time in the Yankees, tried him in the pen where he was primarily a setup man for John Wetland, who has been an excellent closer in his own right, won the World Series MVP that season, but left in 1996 as a free agent. And so the Yankees said, hey, Mariano, why don't you try closing? And so he proceeded to reel off 15 straight seasons of 28 saves. Like you said, it's it's the most dominant single pitch I think we've ever seen in this game. It is cutter fastball. after cutter after cutter after cutter. Down the stretch, he didn't even bother throwing the other fastball. For a while, he'd throw two fastballs, but at the end, it was just cutter on the hands, cutter on the hands, and you didn't hit it. So, and it, I'd say the reason that he most, he's the only what, unanimous Hall of Famer ever, right? Never got voted in content. Everyone said, you're in, and it's the postseason dominance. It's 19 years, it's 16 postseasons, seven World Series wins, or seven World Series, five wins, a World Series MVP. 141 postseason innings with a .7 ERA. Two home runs in his postseason career while going 8-1 and one with 110 strikeouts. 42 postseason saves. Most saves and games finished of all time. The best ERA plus ever. The best ERA of, since 1919. 
13-time All-Star. And like I said, he's the only unanimous Hall of Famer ever, meaning every person that first year said you're in. Somebody voted against Jeter, he would be too. I can at least say I talked to him. That's cool. Uh, he, uh, That's right. We used to have interviews. I forgot yeah. about that. We brought we should have brought that back. Uh, now oh, we're I, finishing I up. He he declined the interview, Aww. but at least I can say I talked to him. <laughs> That's so uh, he was. Uh, I How was his English was going on? Would Kevin Mathers approve of his English? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no issue there. Uh. Uh, I did get to talk to Derek Jeter on that day, but I didn't get Mariano Rivera. Had a chance to say hello. Had a chance to briefly have an exchange, but it stayed brief. Great player. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so you have uh, someone. Uh, uh, a no doubt number one on this list uh, and uh, greatest of all time closer that we've seen. And again, uh, for most people uh, listening, this is going to be in your age bracket where you had a chance to watch the, the best of all time because baseball has changed to have relief pitchers more in the last 30 years. There's some that were on the list that were a little bit older than that, but for the most part, this is the uh, the relief pitcher era. And now that it's continues giving, to change. It's getting even more, right? Now it's so specialized in relief pitchers. Change, your Rays are at the forefront of that, maybe, changing relief pitcher to make it more of a, a three-inning type of thing and follow I'll, it and piggyback. And <laughs> I'll be the first one to say I don't know if I like it. Uh, I, I like someone being creative to try to find a way to win, but long-term how this impacts how we look at pitchers, how we look at uh, things in the – you always have to look within your own era, which is what you're going to have to do with this. But uh, more and more pitchers are going five or six innings, and the, the complete game is becoming more and more a thing of the past. A complete game is almost the same as the the no-hitter or the uh, or the perfect game in terms of it's becoming that much more and more of a rarity. I remember, I believe one of my predictions last year would be there would be no complete games, and then Kyle Hendricks threw a complete game day one against the Brewers, <laughs> if I remember correctly. I, you are correct on that. Uh, but there still wasn't that many of them overall nope. in spite of that. More, I saw a few more with the seven-inning games that we that's had true. with the doubleheaders, but that's about it. And those are coming back. Just remember, everybody, you get to see seven-inning doubleheaders should there be more COVID. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our Greatest of All Time series, getting we a sure chance did. to take a look at uh, at this and uh, uh, reviewing uh, Walk Down Memory Lane for uh, some of these guys or learning more about players that were before our era uh, and uh, enjoying time to it. reminisce on guys that we did watch. It was a good idea. You, you came up with this last year when there was no in, in of live the baseball. Yeah, and there was yeah. a pandemic, and we decided to try making a podcast when there was actually no baseball, and it was fun. Well, that's the way my mind works. When there's nothing to cover, let's sure let's talk about something. Some history, <laughs> some history. Let's do some history of baseball. And it was fun, and we had people liking it. So that's we'll all have, we could have asked for. Uh, we'll have some other. There's some other interesting ideas that we can do with mm-hmm. baseball history that we'll incorporate next off season uh, as as well. Cool. And uh, from even uh, greatest games of all time and different things like that. There's other stuff that we can uh, incorporate and appreciate for baseball history. Uh, I'm definitely. Uh, no Ken Burns, but uh, we can have fun uh, reminiscing on some of the stuff and exploring some of these uh, big games. Uh, I know I had the interview here before, but uh, uh, can definitely bring back Lou Pinella if we ever want to talk about the Nasty Boys in the 90s uh, World Series upset. So with that, uh, we will look forward to bringing you some NFL draft coverage at our next podcast, and we'll go through our big board and give you the top five by position. Who should, uh, and at least we can target positions of need for the Packers. It'll be uh, still before that. free agency, so it's kind of hard to tell for some of those things yet, but uh, how it impacts the uh, the local team. Uh, and, Don't and, take uh, a quarterback this time. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. On that note.